to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, good people. Tim Holt here, Senior Pastor of Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, welcoming you to our time together. And I'm so glad you joined us. Uh, whether you're joining us as a part of our family of faith or whether you're from out of state or you, you're one of our guests and part of our community, which you're normally here during the summer, during a vacation and, and sitting in with us and being a part, I'm glad you joined us today. And if you're out of the country joining us, welcome. I think this uh, study that we've been taking a look at in First Peter, it might be relevant to where you are. And, I, and it, surely us gathering around the Word of God is always profitable. And so I welcome you to it. First Peter, that's where we are today. I'm going to jump into it because we've got a lot of ground to cover in just a short period of time. And so if you would pray with me and let's get going. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this time together uh, with you with your spirit, Lord, with your son, Jesus, as our Savior and our Lord. Thank you for those who are joining us right now. God, I pray for your presence right where they are, that you would make yourself known. Bring your healing, bring your comfort, bring your encouragement, Lord. And most of all, bring your love, that they are loved, that they are cared for, and that, Lord, you are doing mighty things in the midst of some challenging times. This didn't take you by surprise. So, Lord, come and be with us. Help me in my weakness today. Give me the gift of teaching over the next few minutes, Lord. Help me and speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in a passage of Scripture that's going to be over in 1 Peter 2, verse 18, and we're going to scoot right on through 1 Peter 3, verse 9. Now, I'm going to break it up in chunks, and the fill-in is on the Church Center app, and it's also on the uh, Bible app, and I'm going to post it. It should be posted now on the Facebook, the, the blank one, and I'm sticking to a form today, and it's going to be rather recognizable all the way through because I'm going to ask four questions at the end of each section of these verses for us to consider. So, you know, what in the first century is going on here? I mean, Really? He starts off talking about slaves. I mean, the minute we hear that word, right? The minute we hear that word, we can have a visceral reaction. We can feel it. We go, ah, no. And then some of us who have maybe struggled with some of the things that we've read in the scriptures and we're like, oh man, you know, that's that can immediately before you ever take a look at the context, the culture, the challenges of these early churches, we'll discount it. We'll run right past it and we'll use it as fodder or ammunition to attack the Christian faith or the church. We can't do that. I mean, even those of us who love Jesus and are following him, when we hit these sections sections of scripture, we need to slow down. Slow down. Don't move over them, but do a little work. Do a little research. Ask the questions. Ask the questions that are on your mind about this. That's the way we approach the passages. So let's read this, 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit 
if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. What in the first century is going on here? What is happening here? Let's take it apart. Just who were these slaves? First part of this is it's obvious Peter realizes that there are slaves in the church. And so he is talking to those who are under that yoke at that time. Slaves had full equality in the church. And uh, we'll hit a scripture before we're out of this this morning that will affirm that. But when they were in the Christian community, slaves were equal with everyone else that was there. There was no more value attributed to someone else who wasn't a slave than who was. Now, this says something also. It says that slaves at this time had some freedom and mobility. They were able to move. They were able to gather. They were able to be with the Christian community. And this is entering, this this part of the First Peter passages here are entering what some theologians have called the household codes. Household codes. That's how the Christian community, how the communities of that day, how they set up their households. And it was, it was a little different than it was now. And that's what we have to keep in mind. And, and even the slavery issue here, there is no way I would ever in any stretch of the imagination ever try to validate slavery. And I'm certainly not doing it here with this. But I am saying this, that slavery was a different it was handled a, a little bit differently during this period of time. Uh, you know, some of the studies said that maybe one third of the population in the urban centers in the Roman Empire were made up of slaves, a third. Uh, they had sold themselves into subservience in order to pay off a debt. Uh, it was a way for them to take care of their families when they didn't have the food. And so they, many of them enjoyed the same freedom and authority many times that their masters had. Um, there were, you know, all kinds of people that had put themselves in this position, mainly because of need. Now, that's not to say that they were not taken advantage of and that they were not abused at times because physical abuse was prevalent, verbal abuse, certainly. But Roman slaves had status and power that was connected to their masters many times. Or you may have been born that way. You were born into a family who was serving another family and uh, maybe trying to get their freedom and get it paid off. There were doctors, teachers, writers, accountants, bailiffs, agents, overseers, secretaries, even sea captains uh, that were slaves during this period of time. And there was no racial factor involved in this. Anybody could sell themselves into slavery uh, because of debt. And it is different than the horrible situation that we have in this country, especially when you read a book like this. When you read a book about Frederick Douglass and you read the horrible story of how he, how he grew up in America, and then you see slaves in the first word of this particular section on household codes, you see that and there is immediately this disgust and pushing back. So why would Peter even have it in there? Now, first of all, let's get this straight. This is who were these slaves on your fill-in? They were church members. They were people who were a part of this first century church. And so he's talking to them. Why should they submit? 
Why should they place themselves up under these masters? Why should they do that? Why should they take the freedom that is theirs in Christ and then use that freedom in order to sit under, stand under, submit to these masters? Why? Uh, Mainly in their submitting, it was so that when the masters and when others would see the Christian slaves' behavior, that it would stop the gossip and stop the ignorant talk that is going on about Christians. And uh, if you do a bit of a study, you realize in the first century, Christians, there were all kind of gossip and stories. The Lord's Supper, you know, people didn't understand that. And so they called them, you know, cannibals. Uh, There was a lot. And we're going to talk more about that in the future, about how the first church, how in the world did it ever grow? How in the world did it ever make its way out of the first century because it was so misunderstood. And so why should they submit so that, you know, people can look at them and see their behavior and stop the ignorant talk about who Christians are. This is who they really are. Even if you're a slave and you're in this situation, this is who you are. And because honestly, if they didn't they were they, they were subject to being killed. I mean, it was a it was a part of survival that uh, they needed to submit. And so, in that situation, Peter, like Paul was, and many of his passages consider, you know, he was concerned with the continuance of the gospel of the Christian church because it was very small and it was had very little influence at first. And so, he's concerned with that. Uh, he wants them to survive and live on and have influence. And many slaves did have a, a lot of influence with their masters. Now, when it talks about respect, this is in this passage of Scripture. It doesn't mean respecting the master necessarily, but it means respecting God and where he has put you and how he, he's allowed you to be there. It's respect for God. I always thought about this. You know, if you get stopped for speeding and you get a law enforcement officer who has a terrible attitude and you're like, man, you know, I don't, I don't want to obey this. But that badge that's on his chest right there, that badge that's on his chest represents a certain authority and power. And so though we may not respect the type of person he is, we respect the power that's behind who he represents. And I think Peter is trying to get them to associate this so that they can survive, that they can live, and they can also have a testimony in the midst of a trying situation. Uh, And then, you know, it's also, Peter ties it into an example. Christ is our ultimate hero. He is who we look to, and he points to Christ's suffering and how Christ did not, you know, he didn't deserve what he got. But he submitted himself up under that situation, and uh, and so he is our example. Now, what difference did it make? Well, it keeps them alive. It kept them alive, and it kept them in a position of influence. Now, how can we apply this today? I want you to listen to me. We can't. We can't. I'm not going to try to stretch this and put it over our context in Myrtle Beach or in America. I'm not going to do that. I think that we get a view into Peter's great love for the Christian community, for him wanting to see it survive and to have an influence for Christ in that moment. But I would not dare take that and stretch it over our context. Now, there are other parts of the world where this might be applicable 
and you can apply it. You could pray and ask what the Lord's doing. But I'll just say for me, for our church, for the situation we're in, I'm not going to apply it except to say that the gospel, the value of the gospel is obviously very prevalent and Peter cares about these people. He wants them to survive. He wants them to make it. So, all right, that application was easy, huh? Right, number two. Number two, he brings up Jesus in this passage as our and their example. In 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you are like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Man, how beautiful. Now, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus that Peter would use him as an example to the slaves and to all of us? He's the suffering Messiah, as Peter kind of quotes out of Isaiah 53, where it says he was despised. This is out of verse 3, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. When Jesus came, that's the way he was looked at. And so Peter is saying, here's our Lord. This is who has saved us, who has brought us into community. He lived a life of rejection, of being unfairly accused. Here is, this is who this Jesus is how he lived through his suffering. Uh, This is to let them know they're not alone, that they have a Savior who has gone before them, and he knows exactly what they're going through. And I love it when he uses these two terms, when he says the shepherd and also the overseer of your soul. I mean, he kind of tied two worlds together. Shepherd is kind of a shout-out to the Jewish, uh, the Old Testament description of who a shepherd was, that the sheep are never really alone, and that there's a good shepherd who cares and feeds, and when they're in danger, he will go and rescue them. He will be with them. He is your shepherd, he says, to the church that he loves, and he's also the overseer of your souls. And this, I believe, is a shout out to their before Christ situation and also for the culture that they're living in right now. That is, he is the uh, he's the overseer supervisor, just like there were certain people in the Roman Empire who were overseers of cities and areas. And so they were responsible for seeing that things were done in that locale. And so Peter says, you have a shepherd who loves and cares for you and won't let you go astray, but you also have a supervisor over the affairs of your life. 
and uh, that he cares for you. He supervises the care of your soul. And so those who are just brand new Christians, which were most of them, you know, they had something to relate to out of their before Christ situation as pagans because of the way the world was set up. Jesus is now the overseer. You know what the overseer of this area is like, how he oversees and cares it. Well, we have a good shepherd who is the overseer of our lives and of our community. They're not alone. And in 1 Peter 2.16, listen to this. He sets it up. He sets this bit of time up. He goes, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as what? God's slaves. And then right behind that comes this instruction to those who are slaves in the church and in that area. And that's a preface to that. Like, you know, you may have a human master that's around trying to tell you, but you really are, and you live as God being your master because you do have a different master now. He is the ultimate one that you answer to. And why why did he live his life this way? Why did Jesus live his life this way? We know it was to win us back, right? His battle was won without lashing out. His battle was won without doing violence to his accusers. His salvation, the victory that he brought, was not because he overwhelmed his attackers with a verbal assault or a sword. No, it was his willful submission to his father and doing what he was called to that won the battle. The force of love overwhelmed the force of violence that was perpetrated against him. The force of love. No one took his life. He offered it up. You see, Jesus was free. Jesus was totally free in his life as a human as well as the Son of God. He was free, and he chose to not respond because the peace and the love of God would defeat the God of this world, this anger, this violence. And he did not trade insult for insult with any of his attackers. And we're told in the in this section of scripture as well as others like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 4 and even Isaiah 53 that you know don't respond Jesus didn't respond to the insults or the threats but he waited for God's judgment to come. And Peter alike is telling these people, you know, you answer to a God of justice and he will bring the justice. Submit yourself to him. Well, what difference does it make? What difference did that make? Well, I think one of the things that happens is there's an extra amount of grace released in suffering. You cannot read the scriptures, the New Testament, and not realize that suffering is a part of the Christian life at times. Now, I don't like it. I don't know many people who do, like, bring on the suffering, Lord. No, I don't like it. But it's a part of being in this world, this broken world. And it's a part of us reflecting Christ. And I think there is a grace that's released in those moments that we don't experience at any other time. And, you know, Jesus can't be accused of being an insurrectionist, at least with violence. Um He wasn't an enemy. He won it with peace and love and submission. That was more powerful. It's a picture of the upside-down kingdom. His obedience, even to death, released us. And Peter is reminding them in the church, look back to your Savior. 
Look back to what he suffered and see that he is your true master. Live as free slaves of God. Submit to him. So how can we apply this? Well, hey, Jesus is our Lord, right? He's changed our lives. Friday was my spiritual birthday. 49 years. I can't believe it. 49 years God has been faithful. And I look back to that and realize we've gone through some loss. We've gone through challenges. Here we are at this situation. None of us knows what's going to happen. But God has been faithful. Jesus is our Lord. And I thought this was a, a great um, quote here. This is from the interpretation commentary on this passage of Scripture. Christ did not heal the flock in order to sacrifice the sheep. The example of Christ's suffering permits those who are slaves to recognize a value to their own experiences of injustice. At the same time, the sufferers know that they have a value to God, which has been expressed in Christ's death on their behalf. Suffering without belonging to this new community would be senseless. Certainly in many parts of the world, Christians as a community are not resident aliens dependent on the whims of others. We aren't. They are responsible for the conditions in society. We are. I'm adding the we are, right? Because in America, we have more freedoms than, a lot more freedoms than the group that was written to here. There is no reason for Christians to copy the silent Christ by not responding to speech designed to wound others. We must, choose, we must oppose unjust actions and words especially when our silence might imply consent to such behavior. But we also know that at times we should walk away rather than respond to the violence directed against us. So we have to understand the context. We have to respond with Christ as our Lord and Savior. In our time, we vote people in, we vote them out. We are able to protest. We are able to stick up for those who are oppressed, and we should unless we are directly in some way told not to. We have that freedom. They didn't have that luxury. They didn't. Third one, wives. Oh boy, we just keep digging in, don't we? Slaves, wives, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Wives, in the same way, submit submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, and if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, who were these wives? Well, they were new Christians in the new church, and probably many of them were Roman, Roman wives. And I've heard, read a lot on this, what some people call the new Roman woman. And that is that it was so different than the Jewish people were used to, even the new Jewish Christians were used to. And so in this church, Peter is speaking to them, and that is these newly saved, newly committed wives that are coming to the church. And uh, they were enjoying the freedom because in the church, uh, you know, everybody was the same. Every, the value is the same for all. And so they were enjoying that. That's who these wives were. Now, why should they submit? 
Uh, so their unbelieving husband can see the value and the power of an inward character. Now, the husbands usually led the way. Whichever way the husband went, the whole family went. And so Christian wives living with unbelieving husbands was a tough, tough situation. Some of you are living like that right now. But this was very difficult. Very. So what difference did it make if they lived like this? That is that their unbelieving husbands would consider Christ. And, you know, it was an example to the new Christian church that we all have value as well. Uh, Remember that women were almost totally dependent, as I said, on their husbands for everything necessary for life. So Peter doesn't want to see them put out because all it would take would be a word from the husband and they were gone. So Peter is very concerned with their survival and also their testimony. How can we apply it? Well, how we value certain images, cultural images, I think is something we can take from this. I know there are some Christian groups, denominations that take these passages of Scripture, these household codes, and try to drag people back into the first century or, or back to where, you know, you have to wear arm, your, your clothes down to your wrist and your dress or don't wear pants or dress down to your ankles and all of that. That's not where he's going with this, and that's a misapplication totally. But we cannot miss the value of Christian character shining through. If the outside shines more and draws more attention than the inward qualities, then we're missing it. Our inward quality, wise and all of us, but the inward quality has to shine out. The character of the Christian woman, the Christian wife, needs to be pronounced in such a way that it draws in people. And so there were wives in this church who didn't know how to live like that. So those would had, that had more money dressed much more extravagantly and kind of put on the show. One of the things I like about the vineyard is, you know, we don't really care about putting on a show, <laughs> you know, as we dress and come to church. And so, you know, I think a good question, too, is if, if I have to spend more time on my wardrobe than I do my character, then I've got, and I've got some things mixed up. You know, I want to grow in my Christian character and not just grow in my style. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Look, this does not in any way, nor does Paul or Peter in any way, say that this has anything to do with accepting abuse. That's not in this passage, not mentioned at all in any way. And, uh, you know, some family and friends may not get our newfound faith, and so live in such a way that they will see Christ. You know, the things that you used to value so much don't seem as much of a value to you anymore. And they see that in the way that you live and your priorities. And Peter uses the Old Testament example of Sarah. You can go back and read that. And she says, called him Lord. That's kind of funny, I think, because the first time I read that, I looked at Karen years ago and I said, okay, from now on, you're going to call me Lord. Yeah, that went over big, real big. Yeah, yeah, didn't work. Um, But listen, if you do a little work on the word, it's a little L plus in this culture, in this context, uh, calling Abraham Lord was like calling him husband. It was just a synonym, basically, and uh, of saying, this is my husband. This is someone that I cherish, someone I love. Okay, so husbands. Here we go. Last one. First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Who were these husbands? New believers. 
just come into the church. They're used to an old way. Now Peter is helping disciple them. Why be considerate and respectful? Because in that culture, the husband did not have to be considerate of his wife. He did not have to be respectful of his wife. He could kick her out, treat her any way he wanted to. And in the church, things changed. And Peter is saying, look, you can't be a husband like that anymore and exemplify and represent the love of Christ. You can't do it. So now you're to live with your wife in considerate and respectful way. And when we read the weaker partner, man, that that has been abused at times in the church as well, down through history. The weaker partner simply means physically or influence is weaker because that was true. The women were weaker physically most of the time. <laughs> Not now time, maybe my wife, well, never mind. Uh, she's a strong lady. So anyway, it means that you know, that they didn't have the physical presence to deal with things. They were weaker. And also their influence in the community was weaker. They didn't carry the clout. They didn't carry uh, what the man did. And so uh, Peter says in the Christian life, the husband has to do things differently. He respects and he he is considerate of what the culture says about his wife. And so he wants to protect her, take care of her, be considerate. Um, and he says, as heirs, he didn't say his, you know, his uh, situation and his standing with God was any different than hers. She is an heir as well, just the same as he is. And so that's a very radical departure from the status quo. And uh, what difference did it make? Well, that through his behavior, his wife might see the dramatic change Christ has brought and people can see the love and uh, the consideration and respect, the change in the man's approach to his marriage that the man cares for, he's considered, he respects. She is an heir just like he is in the kingdom. And we still have got a ways to go with this in the church in many ways. And so husbands, I encourage you to be considerate and respectful and free your wife. Let her have the freedom that you have in Christ. Let her be an heir right along with you. Now, how can we apply? Uh, this is another quote out of one of the commentaries, but the respect that honors the individuality of each person, including acceptance of that person's weaknesses, is essential to any marriage. Right? He speaks to both wife and husband. And Galatians 26 through 29 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And in Colossians 3.11, he mirrors it. Here there is no Gentile. Where's here? In the kingdom, in the church. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You know, the big question is this. Will my behavior in my context and culture, this is your last villain, harm the cause of Christ? Will my behavior in my context and culture harm the cause of Christ. And I thought about this drawing. I'm going to put it up here as we get ready to close. Of here is the culture and context. 
That's what the church was born into. Here is the church. You see this? There's all kind of pressure coming at the church. All kinds from all sides to conform, to change. And Peter, Peter is very concerned, like Paul is, for this kernel of wheat, this seed of God's presence in the world, that it survive and that it began to change its culture. So that's why he wrote the things that he did in hopes that as the people of God live this way, this begins to expand. Expand. Expand as it has an influence on the culture around it for Christ. So it's a glorious thing to be part of the church. It's a glorious thing to be touched by God, to hear his call, to say yes to him. And as I close in prayer today, I want to ask you, do you see it? Do you see the glory and the beauty of God's love for you? It changed these first century people who were under such heavy, heavy handedness in their context. It changed them. The love of Jesus came and they began to do life differently. And then there was this expansion as, you know, the salt began to save and the light began to permeate culture. And we're still at this. We're still working through this. I would ask you that you receive Christ today, that you commit your life to Him, that you surrender and say, Lord, I want, I want what these folks had and under such tough times that changed their lives and gave them hope. And that is Jesus Christ, a person. So would you pray with me? Lord, I see your beauty in these passages today as challenging as they are. I see the change. I see the kingdom of God starting, Lord, as that treasure, that that pearl that's buried in a field somewhere. And, and Lord, it's so small and there's so much pressure from the surrounding ground on it. And yet it is of such value that it begins to permeate all of society and culture. And it begins to change hearts, it begins to See your kingdom come now in the now. And so, Lord, I ask today that people would say yes to you. Begin their journey with you in this moment. In Jesus' name. So if you've said yes today, I want you to do something for me. Text COMMIT, C-O-M-M-I-T, to 474747. 474747 commit because I want to know if you're starting your journey with Jesus or if you're recommitting it and you're going, okay, I get it. I get it. I want to, I want to be a part of God's community. I want to experience his forgiveness and his purpose in life, in my context, in my culture now. Let us know that you did that. Well, folks, spend a little more time today, probably seven, eight more minutes than, than normal. I hope you stuck with me. I hope you're gaining a better understanding of these passages that seem to be so challenging at times. Love you, and I'll touch base with you this week a few times. God bless you guys. Enjoy your Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.